This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get it going. Happy Thursday. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Coming at you live from the Windsport Event Center at COP. A few hours away from our Sportsnet 960 Beer League broadcast. I can see the ice. I can see the stands. We are in process of getting everything ready for what should be a great return to the airwaves for the Beer League broadcast. Doors at 6, puck drop at 7 with the Whalers and the Lushes. The entire Sportsnet 960 crew is going to be here tonight. we got great intermission games, prizes, and the call of the Whalers and the Lushes right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, a little late getting to you today. Apologies about that and apologies to our next guest. But uh, very excited to kick the program off this afternoon by going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcoming in our Pacific Division insider. You know him from uh, Sirius XM Radio, NHL Radio, and the host of the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. Uh, Jonathan Davis joins us this afternoon. J.D., thanks so much for doing this today, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Logan, the uh, show got a lot smarter with Steinberg out of the mix today. <laughs> we can agree on that one for sure. Uh, JD, the uh, NHL All-Star break is here. Uh, the All-Stars are descending upon Florida, but as the All-Star break will quickly come to an end, the focus will shift here very quickly to the NHL's trade deadline, and things got ramped up earlier this week with the Vancouver Canucks trading their captain to the New York Islanders. Uh, we'll kind of go through the Pacific Division here and and talk some trade deadline needs and to-do lists for these teams, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that trade between the Islanders and the Canucks. You know, I mean, it, it, it caught me somewhat off guard. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say completely off guard because, you know, I heard Elliot and, and Jeff talking about it on the, on the 32 Thoughts podcast the day before the trade. Uh, and so, you know, Elliot threw out Horvat as a potential to the Islanders and, you know, I, I mean, I understand it somewhat from the Islanders' uh, case. I mean, here they are, and they, they bolster themselves down the middle. They, they're they a team that struggles to score. I think, if I remember doing the numbers correctly, I think Bo Horvath's got 11 power play goals, and the Islanders as a team have 21. Um, mm-hmm. So, look, he adds, you know, a key element to, the, to what this roster needs. Uh, you know, and the fact that Vancouver's picking up some of the cash you know, I almost wonder, is there, a, is there a possibility that, you know, he could get moved again if the Islanders don't make or, you know, aren't really in the playoff picture come the deadline? I mean, the door, I think, is even open for that uh, because we haven't heard, you know, Bo Horvat signing a new deal yet with the Islanders. Now, obviously, if that happens, then what I'm saying means absolutely nothing. But the door is at least open for now for that possibility. What else can you see the Canucks getting accomplished before the trade deadline, Jonathan? We talked a lot. We've heard a lot about Brock Besser potentially being there. Luke Shen seems to be a name that's coveted by a lot of teams around the league as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, look, if, if you're Vancouver right now, you're, 
you're, you're, you're, you're, you need cap relief. That's one. But I mean, ultimately the roster, you know, you've had two coaches and now a third in Rick Tockett, but you, you know, they're are dealing essentially with the same roster, two coaches that have gone through the same roster with this ultimately the same results. So this is a, you know, it's flawed. I mean, you can't blame it on the coaches anymore. So, mm. you know, I, I think that uh, unfortunately, you know, the idea, the fact that they had to, to trade Bo Horvat, um, it's still a bit mind boggling to me that, you know, that they couldn't find a way to get Horvat signed before Miller. And, um, you know, it, it's, I think they, they really put themselves, I think in a real, in a very, tough spot so yeah I mean I would continue to to look at, at what else is out there and you know I I would move if I could really anybody you know other than Hughes or Pedersen um you know Thatcher Demko is another one but we have to wait for Thatcher Demko to get healthy because uh you know a healthy Thatcher Demko could also help to reshape this roster the big news right now in the Pacific Division that uh, come out recently in the last 24 hours is the status of Mark Stone with the Vegas Golden Knights. They've uh, announced that he's undergone another successful back surgery and his timeline for recovery is currently indefinite. Sure sounds as though that's going to be a team that's going to dip back into LTIR and might have some extra spending cash before the trade deadline, Jonathan. Absolutely, and it just sucks. Like, you know, you, you hate to see yeah. any player go down you hate to see really good players go down and for me like I, I i've said it numerous times i don't think anyone enjoys scoring goals more than mark stone uh his he is just infectious in uh, on the ice for this team uh you know if you take a look at the vegas numbers and particularly jack eichel's numbers with with stone without stone they're they're just a far different team so yeah i mean i i think that um you know, it, it, they are definitely going to be in the market. Um, you know, they're going to have the dollars to spend. I, I almost wonder, you know, this is a team that, that, that needs a dynamic score. Uh, and I wonder if with Stone's situation, you know, could it open the door to a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko? You know, we've heard reports about the Blues and Golden Knights having discussions about, you know, players like, like Barbashev. I almost wonder now with the stone injury, you know, could Tarasenko be an option for them? Another interesting team in the Pacific right now that currently sits in a playoff spot, although uh, it's one that seems precarious, the Los Angeles Kings, technically second in the Pacific Division heading into the All-Star break, but they're the only team in the Western Conference, J.D., with a negative goal differential, and it sounds as though the Kings' pursuit for a defenseman to help on their back end still remains a pretty high priority. Yeah, rinse and repeat for the L.A. Kings being in the negative goal differential. I mean, I've talked about it with Pat before. I think it was, yeah. you know, it may have been like two or three weeks left in last season before they got to the plus side on goal differential. Yeah, look, they are, they've been looking for a left-shot defenseman since the, this past offseason. And that really should have been Rob Blake's. Uh, he really needed and still needs to get that done because one, they are just they're too heavy on the right side. Um, you know, I, I've said it numerous times. Kevin Fiala has been a great. You know, he, he has done everything and more that the L.A. Kings have asked for. You know, when they brought him in here, leads the team in scoring. He's at 20 goals, I believe, uh, on the year. But that's not what the L.A. Kings needed. I mean, this is. You know, that, that shouldn't have been their first priority. And, you know, his cap hit of just under $8 million also adds to the, to the problems that this team has 
as they approach the deadline, and even as they approach, you know, beyond this season, they have they have very limited cap space, and and that's going to be a problem in any deal. So, you know, if Jacob Chikrin's on their on their list, um, you know, they could make that work. They could move out Matt Roy, and I think that's the guy that LA will move out. Uh, he makes three point one five million, and I think that's the first guy that goes to get the, you know, they, they need the left-handed version of Matt Roy, who's a righty. So I think he's the guy that goes. The other thing, L.A., you know, I, I, I still believe they need is, is another goalie. I mean, I, you know, Phoenix mm-hmm. Copley has done as much, you know, has done Yeoman's work. Um, but, you know, this is a team that has really changed its style to adjust to Phoenix Copley. And, you know, he's really good, Logan. If, if, if he can make the first save, they'll take care of the rest. But, when he doesn't make the first save, like a game against Dallas recently, uh, it, it can be really, it can be very rough. So, I think in a wide open Western Conference, I think LA has a legitimate shot in, in, in saying everything that I've said. But it is, I think it's going to be challenging for Rob Blake to make a deal because it's going to have to be dollars in and dollars out. What do you see the Seattle Kraken and Ron Francis getting up to ahead of the trade deadline and? I find them so interesting because I really don't know who among, you know, the honky media side of things and prognosticators would have looked at Seattle and said, that's a team that's going to be on top of the Pacific division when we take a break and head to Florida for the all-star game. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, the answer is nobody. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you're Ron Francis, I think you're looking for, for scoring help and, and, and maybe, you know, scoring help down the middle, you know, Bo Horvat was rumored for a long time that, that you know, when he may have likely could have been on on Seattle's radar, it didn't work out. But they do need some help. I mean, look, you know, we've talked all year, four balanced lines with that team. But Andre Burakovsky leads that team in scoring, Logan, and he's 88th in the league in scoring. So, you know, this is a team that does it by committee. They, they could use themselves a game breaker. Um, you know, so I think that that's really first and foremost what, what Seattle will, will, will look for. Uh, so it's interesting to see what Ron Francis can do, but I think you know I think you owe it to that room to to add someone of significance for you know a team that when you look at really the core of this roster it's it's between twenty five and, and thirty one. Uh, the other Alberta team here in uh, in our part of the world, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, entering the All Star break currently out of a playoff spot, but. You know, it, it kind of seems as though it's the same old story for Edmonton. Connor McDavid can continue to do these otherworldly things and put up these world and, and mind-blowing stats, Jonathan, but the team itself seems to still struggle behind him. I know Evander Kane is back, and I know he's working his way back from that, that scary injury, but sooner or later it feels like Ken Holland needs to make a big splash to help this group out. Do you see that being this season or no? Well, I think it should be this season. I mean, you know, I've heard Ken, you know, I've heard people suggest that, you know, Ken Holland doesn't want his legacy to, to be the guy that keeps trading away first round draft picks, but do you also want your legacy not to win with Connor and Leon? I mean, I think that's kind of worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, look, you know, what we've seen from the Oilers over the last, you know, three weeks to a month, uh, we've seen definitely a lot better play. Uh, you know, I was talking to, to Gene Principe, you, you know, your colleague at Sportsnet about what, what he's seen with the Oilers. And one of the things that Gene was, was telling me was that, you know, ever since Jay Woodcroft decided to go to 11 forwards and 7D, it, it, it's really turned things around for this team. 
It's given Connor and Leon more ice time. It's been able to spread those two guys out with players in the bottom six. So he thinks that's, you know, he said that was one of the things that has really helped turn this team around. And while Jack Campbell, you know, may not have, maybe hasn't been spectacular, but he's done enough to win games. And before he was doing enough to lose games. So if they can continue to get that from Jack Campbell, then they're, then they're heading in the right direction. Looking at the bottom of the Pacific Division, you're occupied right now by San Jose and the Anaheim Ducks. And when I look at those two teams, they're obviously in the seller category, J.D., but I, I, you certainly look at San Jose and say they might have the biggest fish in the pond heading into trade deadline and the biggest weapon to perhaps turn into future assets, and that's, of course, Timo Meyer. It's an interesting conversation because he is an RFA. He does come with a very expensive qualifying offer, but if you're a team looking to make a big splash across the NHL before the trade deadline, you have to be considering Timo Meyer out of San Jose. You do. And, yeah, it's a $10 million qualifying offer. But, you know, look, I'll, again, I'll defer to, to Elliot Friedman, who, you know, suggested that he thinks that if it gets close to a deal that the, the Sharks will allow, you know, their, their trade partner to try to negotiate a deal with Meyer to make things work. And, yeah, I mean, look, there's no way San Jose can keep him. You know, Doug Wilson really put this team in cap hell. Like, I, you know, I, I like Doug Wilson a lot as a person, but the contracts, you know, the Meyer deal, you know, uh, well-deserved for Meyer, but really the Carlson deal to me, and, you know, he, he's really put this team in the hole. And so, yeah, they're, they're going to have to move Timo Meyer because they're not going to be able – to re-sign him unless miraculously they can find a trade partner, you know, in the, you know, between now and, and July one uh, for Eric Carlson. And I don't think that's very likely. It's just too complicated. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, whether it's Timo Meyer and then some smaller parts in San Jose, you know, you've got Nick Benino, a guy with playoff experience. I would expect him to be moved. I would definitely expect James Reimer, a UFA to be moved. You know, I think I've said LA would be a great landing spot for, for James Reimer because it would just give them that veteran who's been there before and, and Reimer knows how to handle the backup role. So, you know, that's what I see happening in San Jose. And then in Anaheim, you know, they've got, you know, you've got Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, you've got John Klingberg, you know, those are two defensemen that you would expect to get moved, uh, you know, between now and the deadline. And, and for Anaheim, obviously the, you know, the idea of finishing at the bottom and what could happen for them, uh, is very enticing. Just ask Timo Solani. Yes, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, <laughs> and last but not least, JD, before we let you go here, uh, the Calgary Flames, the team that uh, we focus on here in Calgary, of course. Uh, there's been Elliot and Jeff have, have bandied about the names of of James Van Riemsdyk and others. Uh, our pal Julian McKenzie from the Athletic, his latest piece there in a conversation with Brad Living sure seems as though the GM is focused on trying to find a forward to help this group out before that March 3rd trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, they, they surely miss it. You know, I was taking a look, you know, if you take a look at the numbers from the top four goal scorers from last year um, and then the top four from this year, I think you've got like about 150 goal difference. Um, you know, it's been a real, at least they're on pace for a big difference like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's no question that they need help. Uh they need scoring help, and they need an identity. I mean, look, you watch them closer than I do. I still, you know, 
Flames games are always on on one of my TVs in the house. I just I, I don't know what this team is. Yeah. Uh, you know, at times they look great. I think, like, for me, if you take a look at the Dallas game from, you know, that Saturday afternoon game from not too long ago, that was the Calgary Flames in a nutshell, the team that was up 6-1 and then had to hang on to win 6-5. Um, you know, you saw everything about them in one game. And, yeah, it's a real struggle right now. And, and you know, uh, so I, I'm not really sure what they are. But, yes, they do need goal-scoring help. Uh, JD, where can people find you? What's going on on the uh, Show Me the Money Hockey Petting uh, podcast right now? Well, we're in a, we're we're on a break, uh, but yeah. you can find the the podcast is all over Spotify. Uh, but we'll be back uh, on Monday once uh, you know. I'm not doing anything for the All Star game, but uh, you know I'll be tweeting stuff out there. A lot of great, uh, a lot of profitable betting trends uh, that that uh, I've been tweeting out, including one. Go to my timeline, and there's a trend that uh, one of the guys that. Uh, from the uh, from the Visa Network had shared on the air, and I kind of put it all together. You take you bet on a team that's already played a game coming out of a break against a team that has not played a game yet out of a break. It has been crushing it the last couple of years. And on my timeline, I've got the list of all of those games uh, between uh, Monday and Saturday. Uh, you can find Jonathan on Twitter at West Coast Hockey. Uh, HKY and hockey at the end there, and of course the host of Ice Cap on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. JD, thanks so much for hopping on. Really do appreciate it today. Apologies about the delays getting you on there, but we'll uh, chat with you again next week, hey? All right, bud. Be well. Take care. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a great break. Jonathan Davis joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Uh, like I said, host of Ice Cap on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Show me the money hockey betting podcast. You can find him on Twitter at West Coast Hockey. Uh, very regular on with Pat Steinberg on Flames Talk as well. Every single week uh, bringing you the latest around the Pacific Division. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll let you know what we're doing here at Winsport as we're getting set for the Beer League Hockey Broadcast here on Sportsnet 960. And we'll bring Aaron Vickers from Daily Hive and NHL.com in to uh, kick off the 4 o'clock hour. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It is Logan Gordon and Aaron Vickers along with you this afternoon. Coming at you live from the Winsport Event Center. A couple hours away from puck drop between the Whalers and the Lushes. And the return of our annual... Sportsnet 960 Beer League broadcast. But uh, well, as we welcome in Aaron Vickers, let's uh, say hello to our pal from Daily Hive and uh, NHL.com, Mr. Vickers. How are well, you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Just with like, there's not a chance the Whalers lose this, right? Just based on name alone, like it's already done deal, or no, uh, it's not a done deal. The uh, the Lushes have been represented by the afternoon and. Um, I um, haven't heard you on the mornings, so... Yeah, Vickers, how uh, dare you? Yeah, exactly, yeah, how dare you? I'm just you trying right. to get you guys all riled up. It's there's not a, necessary. There's, there's a buzz in the building. Everybody's excited. It's going to be a good one. It's we're gonna excited. It's going to be a good one. We're, uh, we're getting set up. We're getting ready for everything down here. If you're coming down, doors are at 6. Puck drop is at 7. Uh, we'll dive into more of our uh, beer league broadcast as the afternoon goes on. But it's a Thursday, uh, and that means it's time for our regular chat with Adnan Verk from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hall this afternoon. Mr. Verk, how are you, sir? 
I'm doing great, Logan. As always, I'm multitasking. So as I got the call set up, I'm going to the printer, get out my hockey notes, and then I heard you say Mr. Vickers. I said, wait, am I on right now? Is it is a new nickname for him? Yeah. Her, calling Vickers? And then I realized, <laughs> no, it's somebody else, so we're all good. I'm ready to go. Uh, and then have you ever laced him up for a beer league game? That's what we're here uh, at the event center doing tonight. <laughs> you know what I haven't? That's funny you mentioned that. I, my skating was porous, even like in my time. I was not a very good skater. I believe the term was ankle burner. If you're a bad skater growing up in Canada. So I couldn't even imagine if I had to put on bear skates right now, it, it would not go well. I'd like, I'm going to be just immobile over in the corner. Just, just try not to pass you the buck. Thanks. But how are your beer drinking skills? Yeah, that I can do. No problem. Just give me a beverage. That's all you need. Yeah, get a beer got going. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Looking like Homer in The Simpsons. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, no skating and an ability to drink beer. I think you would have fit in with uh, most editions of the uh, Philadelphia Flyers in the 70s, the year old team there. <laughs> yes, and willing to fight. That's exactly right. The Bucks, <laughs> yeah. <love> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, funny enough, Adnan, we were, uh, myself and Aaron Vickers were at the uh, Saddle Dome yesterday. Uh, a young man named Connor Bedard came into town and uh, just about sold out the Scotiabank Saddle Dome for a game against the Calgary Hitmen. And uh, up on the Jumbotron at one point, uh, a view that I, I had to pass along to you, there was a young man in a Philadelphia Flyers jersey with a sign that said, Connor, please come to Philly. And if he wasn't 20 years younger than you, I would have swore it was you with that sign pleading for the NHL gods and for Connor Bedard to somehow end up wearing orange this summer. You know, and my spirit just is everywhere, right? Like when you, when you see that, you go, "That's that's definitely one Berkey's feeling." That is that is what we call a kindred spirit. That is a young man who clearly has uh, my heart in the right place and their heart in the right place. Because oh my god, I couldn't even imagine. Like I, I remember as a kid when the Flyers got Lindros making that trip to the Nordiques and the next one, and then all the hype and hoopla around it. And in some ways, it's crazy, right? Because you thought Lindros was going to be the next Gretzky year. Gordie Howe or Mario Lemieux, obviously power forward extraordinary. He wasn't that. He ended up being a Hall of Famer. wasn't like a first battle Hall of Famer. Obviously, the concussions, the injuries. But when Lindros was great, he was great. And he was clearly mm-hmm. an elite player. But I remember just that hype and excitement of going, oh, my God, like, we got the guy. Like, this is the guy everybody wants. And we got the We have six players, two draft picks, right? Peter Forsberg, $15 million to Marcelo. But whatever you want. We got the guy. So the same thing I feel with Conor Bedard. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care. We got the guy. That's all that matters. And obviously, the better you are, the less chance you have of getting him. But Philly's not going to make the blast. If they're going to be in this lottery, who knows when the balls bounce. Oh, my God, I would lose my mind if that happens. we still got 30 games to go or so for that uh, before we get closer to figuring out who might have the best odds at Connor Bedard. But we're heading into the All-Star break now, Adnan, and you had a, a great conversation on NHL Network yesterday uh, with Billy Jaffe and uh, Steve Conroy there about uh, all-star moments that you wish you were there for. Uh, and, you know, of course, you were asking them, what, what, what stood out for you when you think of all-star moments that actually resonate and that you would want to be there for over the eight years in the NHL? Which ones come to mind for you? Well, it was interesting talking with those guys because, you know, Steve Conway brought up uh, Thatcher Cave to Superman, which is pretty funny with the Clark Kent glasses. Um, and I like Jaffe mentioned Ray Bork and the – the whole accuracy contest. That's what I always think about is the, is the skills competition. Like to me, the All-Star game itself, I was never crazy about because, you know, obviously there's no defense being played and mm-hmm. we're kind of just yucking it up. But, but I always think the skills competition to me was fun. Like watching, you know, Mike Gordon or like, you know, Scott Niedemar, how fast they could skate. 
you know, seeing the ally of Brady line up a slap shot. Like, you, know, he, you know, Al McKinnis. Stuff like that, too, is always amazing. And I, I love even the accuracy of the relay. Like, sometimes it can be a little goofy, but I always kind of found those kind of moments to be special. Just to be able to watch a guy like Shea Weber, you know, get like a 108-mile-an-hour slap shot 2016. <laughs> Stuff like that I was always amazed by. When you can break down hockey to, like, its simplest form, its almost elemental sense, to me, those are very, very cool moments. Where does the Owen Nolan point on Dominic Hasek calling his shot before rifling it by the legendary goaltender rank? Because when I think all in-game all-star moments, that's got to be near the top for me. And maybe maybe it's the jerseys as well because you've got the purple and black versus the teal and white. But the whole thing coming down, calling his shot, putting it right there, and then just throwing his arms up like he knew it was coming a mile away. Yeah, that was pretty awesome too, especially because as you're talking, those are big-time players, like, by virtue of its name, it's the All-Star game. This isn't like, you know, Merrick Malik scored an unbelievable goal in the shoot. I think, okay, they'll always be known for that, but he's Merrick Malik. This is Owen Nolan, like one of the great powerfuls ever, Hosh, one of the great goalies ever. To be able to call his shot, like a Babe Ruth-type deal back in baseball, famously in the 30s, hey, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it right now, that's definitely a very, very cool moment. Where does the NHL All-Star weekend sort of rank for you, Adnan, when you look at the whole pantheon of, of All-Star breaks? I think it's interesting because, you know, in the past you'd get like a couple days and then that's it. Whereas I like what the league did this year. Like, really, this is a true all-star break. Like, my flyers mm-hmm. are off all week. They're not back to work until February 6th. Like, could you imagine, like, if you're a team that's really played a lot recently, you've been on the road quite a bit, to be able to say, hey, for a week I'm going to be all with my family, like, that's a legitimate break. Like, I look at the all-star break in baseball, and I go, God, that's six months, 162 games, that is so hard. And that break is only three days. Like, that's not much of a yeah. break. Like, Sunday night, you're home. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're back playing Thursday and Friday. So, I, I love the fact that the league has set this up to say, hey, here's a full week off. You guys can rest and regroup and then kind of go from there. Um, but it's funny. When I look at the, the major storylines overall from this season, I think about the Bruins, just like how well they play. I know they've slumped a little bit lately, but the fact that they've got, you know, a shot as far as the single-season NHL record for wins in the season, like they're at 39 wins. Have to look it up. 76-77 Canadians. They have the benchmark for points in a season. One of two teams in league history with 130 or more points in a season. And right now the Bruins are 83, 51 games played. 95-96 Red Wings in the 2018-19 Lightning. 62 wins. Bruins at 39. Like that to me is crazy. I'm like, wow, you could have a record-breaking stats from the Bruins as far as from a team all time. I think the scoring being up is interesting. 6.24 goals per game, 25 the league's 32 teams, averaging 2.90, which is the league average two seasons ago. That's great to see. Uh, obviously, Ovechkin, you know, the fact he's passed Gordy Howe, 82 behind Gretzky, and then McDavid. The fact McDavid is averaging under two points per game, he's on pace for this year, 151. Entering the All-Star break, McDavid just three goals shy of matching his career high set last season. Like, he could have the best season by a player since Lemieux back in the mid-'90s. Uh, that's part of what I'm looking at. When I think of the All-Star break, I say, okay, take a break. Let's enjoy the game, but let's enjoy what we've seen so far this year in the NHL. Do you have a major disappointment at this point in the NHL where you look at a, a team or perhaps a player that was expected to have a big year uh, and, and just hasn't had it to this point that's really surprised you? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, well, sometimes what I think happens is that certain teams are expected to make the jump, and then they don't. And sometimes there's a bit of that Stanley Cup hangover. And that's one of those things, like, for me, Florida, 
who was thought to be a real contender this season, the fact that they don't they're not even make the playoffs, like that to me is shocking. Like when I look at the yeah. Avalanche, I go, okay, fine. The Avalanche yet to really get going, but I'm like, you know, like I said, it's not like a hangover. I think they're going to be okay. Although Colorado to me is still a disappointment. I mean, the fact that they are fourth in the Central, the fact that they're nine points back, Dallas, behind Winnipeg and Minnesota, to me that is surprising. But to me, ultimately, it's Florida. Like, there's no question about it. The fact that they're 24, 22, and 6, a 54-point team, are you kidding me? If you won the President's Trophy a season ago, and now you're not going to make the playoffs, that, to me, is the big shock. And, and the big surprise, conversely, is the Devils. Like, to me, the fact that they're second in their division, they're better than the Rangers, the Capitals, the Penguins, the Islanders, the Flyers, the Jackets, the only second in Carolina, who may be the second-best team in hockey behind Boston. To me, the, the biggest surprise, pleasant surprise, is the Devils. And the biggest disappointment easily is the Florida Panthers, although there's reason to be concerned about Colorado as well. They should be better than they've been so far. When you uh, when you last one, I guess, on the All-Star break and the All-Star game in, in total, when you look at the different All-Star games across North America, we know the NFL is, is trying to revamp theirs this season and we'll see a, a brand-new version of the Pro Bowl games and it's flag football and all this other stuff. The NHL recently did this a couple years ago where they went to this three-on-three format. They still do some of the skills stuff. But where do you sort of rank those, Adnan, when it comes to – you mentioned you know, the MLB's All-Star break and the Home Run Derby is still a, a fun event that I think a lot of people get excited for. But when you look at sort of the big ones in North America, are there still any that really catch your eye that you're excited to watch when they come up year after year? Yeah, I think in baseball, the home run derby is still really cool. I think it goes a little too long. It's a little bit too drawn out. But there's definitely something to be said when you're seeing, you know, Albert Pools taking mighty swings at as many home runs as he can. I think in basketball, again, it's a little bit played out. But also the slam dunk contest, people still get excited to see the game's best dunkers, even though you don't even know who these days are. I think in hockey, again, like the, you know, now, now it's kind of different, right? you got the 10 tandem, you know, the pitch and puck. It's a little bit mm-hmm. kind of goofy, but I still like the fastest skater. I still like the hardest shot. Again, when you break down the season to its you know, most elemental level, to me, that's still pretty cool. But by the way, I'm looking at the NHL splash shot. Ocean spray, breeze, and sand adding to the challenge of this new event. Eight shooters, four teams of two players, single elimination. Players required to hit all targets before attempting to dunk their opponents. Anytime there's hitting and there's dunking involved, that's very exciting. New for 2023, check out the Enterprise NHL Splash Shot. That has my attention. Where are you at with the game itself, particularly since 2015 when they instituted the $1 million prize going to the winning team? I think anytime you put a dollar on something, I know I get more invested. I couldn't imagine splitting a million dollars between X number of players for what eventually kind of amounts to an exhibition showcase. Yeah, I mean, listen, you got to have some incentive for these guys to play. Otherwise, you'll just have players just dropping out. And, and, and there's no doubt if you had zero incentive, hey, guys still want to be able to see that they're all-stars. And it definitely is something that you can take pride in. But a little money helps, right? A little money goes a long way. So, sure, if it's two extra bucks, especially, like, not all these guys are multimillionaires. Like, some of these players, um, you know, are kind of having their breakout season. Like, Jack Hughes didn't get paid yet. You know, Brock Nelson's not loaded. Um, you know, for every Ovechkin and, you know, uh, players that ill, Johnny Gaudreau, there's a Dylan Larkin in there who's like, hey, man, I could use an extra $25,000, especially for one day's of work. That's the main thing for me. So, I think it's a, oh, whatever incentive you can do, get these guys to be excited, to be part of it, cool. 
as far as the game itself, I'll be honest. I, I can never get through the whole thing. Like I'll, I watch most of the skills competition, the actual game. I probably watch like most of the first period. By the second, I lose interest. I don't know. I'm flipping around. If, if for some reason it's a very close game, I can go back and watch it. But it's a tough sell to me to be able to watch exhibition hockey for all three periods. That's just me, though. We're talking with Adnan Verk, our Thursday regular here on Sportsnet today, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. And uh, I held this off as long as I can, but can you tell me uh, what uh, section and seat number you're going to have in Arizona on the weekend when you uh, go to the <laughs> Super Bowl? So I made sure, as you know, Logan, a month ago that I booked off the Super Bowl weekend just in case my yep. Eagles made it. And, of course, the fate's in line. You know, I, I was in Montreal, as you know, to watch the game against the Giants, which they won this past week. And, again, I booked off the conference championship game, watched that at home, loved every second of the fact we just took care of the 49ers and dismantled them. So for the Super Bowl, I looked into it, and I said, okay, hotel, two nights, 250 a night cheap, at probably, probably minimum, 500 bucks. Flight to Arizona, 500 bucks, okay, $1,000. Now I look up on TickPick, you know, how much do the tickets actually cost the game? Minimum $5,000. I'm like, oh, my God, this is outrageous. So I speak to my agent, and he goes, well, I could probably get you face value tickets. I go, okay, how much is that? He goes, probably 1500 So now I'm, I'm chewing over. I go, all right, so it's not cheap, but $2,500 to see my team in a Super Bowl. But then I had to actually picture myself, like, walking in Phoenix, like, by myself, trudging up to the seat, three rows from the heavens. I go, you know what? There's a reason God gave me kids. I want to enjoy this experience with my kids. I want to be with my family. Now, here's the thing. I watched the previous Super Bowl win. My son, Yusuf, who's now 14, at the time was nine. It was great to watch it with him, right? I had a great father-son moment. Yeah. Now my son, Shaz, is six. He's really into it. So I really want to watch with him more than anything. So I said to my wife, I'm going to go to Philadelphia. And she's like, what? And I said, I'm going to go to a sports bar in Philadelphia because I want my kids to see what it's like being surrounded by all Eagles. It'll feel like for young Shaz, who's six, hey, we're, we're among our own, right? Everyone's going to have Eagles jerseys on. Everyone's going to be cheering for Philly. That's a great experience. And she looks at me and says, you're going to take a six-year-old to a bar. Like, they're all going to be drunk. They're going to be screaming. They're swearing. Like, it's, like there's going to be fights. Like, if the Eagles lose, like, it's gonna, like, things are going to get nasty. And I said, okay, and maybe I'm not going to go to, like, South Philly, like, heart of the bars. But, like, yeah. maybe I'll go to, like, a, a suburban area of Philadelphia. So I'm in the midst of looking up, like, Buffalo Wild Wings in, like, suburban <laughs> South Jersey. I'm like, all right, I think that'll be safe enough that I'm not actually in Philadelphia in case cars are going to be, you know, thrown all over the place and people start greasing the poles up. But I, I still think it's important he's around other Eagles fans. We'll see if I pull this off, but I believe I'll be somewhere in Philadelphia watching the game. I mean this with all due respect, but regardless of if it's a Buffalo Wild Wings, is that a safe enough environment, knowing Philly fans? Well, here's the thing. I, and again, it goes back to my confidence that we will win. We are currently favored, minus one and a half points. I feel this team has been underrated all season long. At the start of the year, everyone said, well, Philadelphia will win because of a soft schedule. I thought they'd go 12-5. and five. Even better, they went 14-3. and three. Took care of the Giants. Took care of the 49ers. With Hurts as the starter, we're 16-1. and one. So anybody who says, well, Philadelphia says, oh, 16-1 when our starting quarterback is playing as he will be on Sunday. And even though he's not 100%, he's feeling better. Whereas their guy has a high ankle sprain, which to me, like you clearly saw him hobbling after that brilliant run on third and four, the late hit all the rest of it. So, my confidence level stems from the fact that I, I really do think we're going to win. I think they've got the best player Mahomes. We've got the better team. 
And to be around Philadelphia brethren when we win will be an epic moment. But I, I, I do have that sense of what happens at 9.58 Eastern time. The Eagles win. How crazy is that dash the car and trying to drive in those streets? That That is going to be the challenge. I personally am looking forward to the social media video that comes out with Chaz and Yusuf climbing their own traffic pole in Philadelphia <laughs> along with their eagle brother. And that's what I really think I'm excited about, Adnan, is I think I, I think do this right. I think if you want to indoctrinate them into the Philly brother, and they need to do this right, they need to smash at least one car window each. If they don't come home with a felony, they're not a true Eagles fan. They're under 18, so I think there's some sort of, you know, there's got to be some easing of rules on this. So just, you know what, tell Yusuf, tell you, you know, get ready, start practicing at the rope at school. We'll grease it up a little bit. You pick a traffic light. If the Eagles win, you can scale it with everybody else. <laughs> Let's teach them vandalism at a good age. That's why I said to my wife, that's why we have four kids. So if we get imprisoned and jailed, you'll still have two children at home you can be proud of. And I will be with the other two children who are absolute truants. And clearly, uh, destined to a life of crime and violent offenders because their father <laughs> took them to the Eagles Super Bowl win. So, Yusuf, Shaz, and me, you're right. It's a better way to indoctrinate your life into what a tough life <laughs> the world can be. At least two kids will be spared. Yeah, exactly. You've got you've got options, so it's not like you're it's not like if two go bad on you that you're in such a bad spot. Fifty percent is a good success rate, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> exactly. We're dealing with a good law of averages, but. Hopefully, man, I, I can't wait. Like To me, the half, yeah. the Eagles in the Super Bowl twice in five years. And here's the crazy thing, Logan. It's it's a different team. Like, Jason mm-hmm. Kelsey's still there, obviously. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. Like, they're still great players. But to have a different quarterback and a different head coach, that doesn't happen within five years to also get to the Super Bowl. Like, that's just amazing to me. As you go from the, you know, the triumvirate of Wentz, Foles, Peterson to now Hurts and Sirianni. Like, that's completely different. I'm like, nope, we're back. And, and, and there's no issue with it. Was it like... You guys got lucky a couple of breaks. Like, no, the NFC wasn't particularly strong. Like, we saw the Packers have a down year, Braden the Bucks had a bad year. But, like, ultimately, Philly beat who they had to beat. And you can say, well, they beat a fourth-string quarterback. Well, yeah, but at the same time, maybe you should block. Like, Hassan Reddick, mm-hmm. who's the best pass-rushing linebacker in football, had a free lane to murder Brock Purdy, and he did. And he caused an injury, which will allow that quarterback six months to recover. So, like, every chance Philadelphia's had to take advantage of the situation they have, and I'm telling you, the fact Mahomes is not 100%, I think Philly wins this game. I'm not going to say convincingly. I'm not going to say easily. It's not going to be 31-7 again. But I think Philly wins. And then my safety will be in doubt. Uh, last one for you. We can't uh, talk NFL without talking about the uh, beachside video of a lonely Tom Brady uh, announcing that he's, <laughs> he's done for good. This time there was there was no Giselle. There was no kids. He's, he's given all of that up. But this time now... Uh, he says he's done for good. Does Adnan Verk buy the second retirement of uh, Tom Brady? I do, although I kind of want to feel like he's a boxer. You know those boxers, they're always, right, retiring, I'm retiring, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, all those kind of guys. But, yeah, he, he seems like he's at peace with that and he want to make that decision. And let's be honest, anybody who saw him in that Cowboys game said, this guy clearly looks like he is done. You know, Brady's still through for a ton of yards this year. That That's undeniable. But the team wasn't particularly good. Now, the only surprise I have is I would have thought, and again, this is time source psychology, but it looks like this season cost him his marriage. You know, like he retired, he's good to go. He tells his wife, I'm done. He's going, I'm going back. Wait, what? You retired for 40 days? Then I'm out of here. Okay, see ya. So his marriage ends because he loves football so much. 
he ended up playing this one season, which went they went eight and nine. Suffered a terrible loss. The Cowboys they only made the playoffs because they're in a bad division. And that's who you go out. Like I thought just purely out of pride, ego, spite. Brady would say, okay, one more year, I'm going to go to San Francisco or Oakland and prove that losing Giselle was worth it. Because, look, I still went on a champion. But I give him credit because maybe he's not as spiteful and egotistical as I think he is. I realize, hey, man, it's going to be tough to keep going. Let's just call it a day. Maybe they get back together. Who knows? And, by the way, he's got, what, $300 million deal waiting for him with Fox to go be a broadcaster. So we'll see if he can be as good as Romo or Troy Aikman or any of these guys. So, he leaves behind an incredible legacy. I was not a Brady fan because the Patriots beat the Eagles, and I lived in New England during much of that rain. I got tired of seeing damn Patriots fans who were so insufferable. But there's no denying his story's inspirational, right? He, he barely made the yeah. league. He was a six-round pick. Ended up playing 23 seasons, seven Super Bowls. I saw Mike Francesca uh, of the famed Mike and the Mad Dog here in, in New York. He was saying, you know, the greatest regular season quarterback is still Peyton Manning. The greatest postseason quarterback, he said, is Joe Montana. Montana had a 129 passer rating in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady was in the 90s. And having said that, if right now I said one guy to win a game, pretty sure you're taking Tom Brady with respect to Peyton Manning or Joe Montana. He just was so good for so long. You can't deny him that. Uh, Verk, you're the best. Always appreciate the time on a Thursday, pal. We'll, uh, we'll chat with you next week. Good luck with your, uh, your plans on finding something in Philly, and we'll, we'll catch up and see how those worked out in a week's time, man. Eh? <laughs> Thanks, Logan. I appreciate it. Verk and Vickers, let's get after it. I like the sound of that. We'll uh, we'll keep that going. Ed and Ed joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon from the MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, going to Philly, if you're not going to go to the Super Bowl, I kind of like the the idea of going to Philly. I, I, I'm with you. The, the kid-friendliness of, of Philly might be a tough one to sell. Yeah, I don't know how fan, family-friendly that <laughs> any, not even Buffalo Wild Wings, yeah. but any venue whatsoever showing a football game in, what, nine, ten days from now yeah. in that city. And you know what? That city, to me, is one of the more underrated ones in the U.S. when I used to travel on the NHL circuit. That place, I absolutely adore Philadelphia. Having said that, not sure if me, as a grown adult, just as a neutral yeah, fan heading yeah. into the game, would be willing to put it on the line. Nevertheless, a uh, six-year-old child. So, we'll see what uh, what Verk's plans wind up being next week when we chat with him here on uh, Sportsnet today. Uh, he's Aaron Vickers. I'm Logan Gordon. We're here along with you at the uh, Winsport Event Center, getting set for our annual Sportsnet 960 Beer League broadcast. The Whalers and the Lushes coming your way in just a few hours' time. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to break down what exactly we saw at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome last night. If you paid for a ticket to the Connor Bedard show, you probably left pretty satisfied last night. Uh, Aaron was there. I was there. We'll talk about what went down in the Hitman 6-5 loss to Regina. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.